Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live. Today's guest is Gordon Goodwin. And Gordon, I'm going to go right to you. You know, usually I like to introduce our guests, mm-hmm. but the truth is, from what I've read about you and know about you, your reach is so broad and so wide and so huge that I'm going to let you start because I know you span so many areas. I, I don't know how that could possibly be. But oh, I don't know how it could be either. But it's some easy. people some people do express, <laughs> they characterize it that way somehow. But, you know, for me, I just have doing what I've done since I was probably in kindergarten. How old? Kindergarten. Oh, I was going to ask you that. OK, so I just I just started writing music in, in, when I was kinder, kindergarten age uh-huh. and then kept it going. And, and but it, uh, probably about eighth or ninth grade, I realized that maybe I had a, a unique skill that not everybody had. and maybe that was my connection to the world. Maybe that was kind of who I would hang my identity on. I knew I didn't, I I was like a clunky, geeky band geek. You know, I had no athletic skills. I was shy and a little awkward. So um, music seemed to be the ticket for me. Well, I have a question about that when you said, you know, doing what just came. I I have always had a feeling with certain people that we have our throwaway talents. That is those things that come so easily to us that we kind of pay them no mind at some point, yet to others, they're huge. Mm -hmm. In my case, um, it wasn't exactly a throwaway situation. Um, I I think I had a feel for it, but I I didn't have um, much discipline. Oh, I was gonna ask, yes. But that's a separate thing, yes. It is, but as a kindergarten kid, I didn't wanna take piano lessons, but mom and dad said, that's what you're gonna do. Really, good for them. I, yeah, I, I, well, it led to it. They gave me my life by that right. because did you, did you start out musically as a pianist first? A little kid playing my scales in my hand and exercises, but my teacher, she was smart and she saw that I had a problem. I didn't like practicing. I, I remember the kids in the neighborhood would make fun of me. How come you're not out playing? Cause I'd be in there. Do, 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 you know? And so that I took some heat from the other kids and that, you know how that feels when you're a little kid. But my my piano teacher, Mrs. Hodges, said, if you practice your scales, I will let you write a song next week. Oh, I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Write a song? I don't What is She goes, you're going to like it. And so she taught me kind of the opening steps of how do I create my own music? Now, I wasn't a young Mozart. They weren't really noteworthy, except for the fact that I was doing them at all. And, and it put it in my head early that maybe I could create music as opposed to just parroting back other people's stuff. So it, it's, it did start pretty early. And I was lucky that Janet Hodges, you know, kind of opened the door and nudged me through it. You know, that, that is really the mark of a brilliant teacher, isn't it? To see hmm. what the student needs. What the specific student needs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Find a way to connect with them. And yeah, and she, she definitely knew how to do that. So, so for me, I have to say, to answer your question, though, in fullness, um, it took me probably till age 25 before I slowed down and corrected some fundamental, uh, mis- they weren't mistakes, they were omissions in my training. Like I got a gig with Johnny Mathis when I was 25 <laughs> and I was, I was playing piano for him. I later on would conduct for him, but I was playing piano and a lot of it was kind of concert style stuff. And my wrist, my right wrist would get really sore. And I go, man, I'm not going to, I'm going to, they're going to fire me if I can't do this. So I studied piano with a guy at UCLA and he said, man, there's so much you're doing wrong. 
Oh. And first thing you're not doing is you're not breathing. You're I said, going. I'm not. He goes, no. He goes, here's, here's you. You get to a hard thing and you go. Oh, I was going to say, were you gasping instead of I breathing? was holding my breath. Now, I've been playing saxophone since I was in eighth grade. So you think that I would understand about that. But for some reason, I got on the piano and I, I didn't give my body the oxygen it needed. So he's, he helped me fix that. And then I went back and kind of started, to, okay, let me slow down and just make sure that I have a good sound on my saxophone. Just play, you know, they have these things, long tones, where you hold a note and you'll see how long you can hold it with a good, you know, sound and good intonation. And it's really, it's difficult, it's boring, but it, it's, it's like an amazing thing for a wind player. So things like that, I just kind of started to do. And, um, and then uh, that acted as a good foundation for me as then I started to add my inspiration on top of that. I was always inspired, but my skill set was underdeveloped, you know? So the whole thing about innate talent, uh-huh. I believe, at least in my case, took me so far, but it didn't get me across the line oh, well, until, sure. until, I, until I went and kind of filled in the, the gaps in my training. And you have to know what to do with it, but could we back up mm-hmm. a good long step? Okay. Somewhere between, you know, Mrs. Hodges and P- Hodges, was it? Hodges, yes. We got to get her name out there. Um, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Hodges and 25, when you were doing something with Joe, what was in between? What were you doing? Oh. I know that you were doing some interesting stuff, what, with Disney and cartoons? and what Yeah, was- well, well that, that the cartoons came later. Disney came after I got out of college. I went, to, I went to school. I had a friend that was working there. And he goes, hey, they're hiring piano players. You want to come down and audition? And that showed me right then, this is how show business works. It's personal relationships. Yes. And I just had a friend and he got me in the door and I got the job. And I worked as a musician at Disneyland for probably 1979 through 1981. Okay. But I still work for them to this day. I write music for them and I compose for their films and different things. So it, it became a lifelong uh, you know, relationship for me and a, and, a, and a fruitful one. But my friend Tom got me in the door. How nice to know. Yes. Yeah. And how you've just, you know, in addition to enormous innate talent, you've been lucky. Yeah. You've been lucky with great teachers and a friend who knew. Could you? Okay. Johnny Mathis. Mm-hmm. So uh, Johnny Mathis was the sound in 1957, 1950, that every girl needed in her life. Yes. I, all I can tell you is my Sweet 16 party. I got three of his albums because everyone knew that that's. What was that like working with him? Well, uh, it was the greatest gift because he is the most wonderful person. And I was pretty green when I started with him, but he just, it was a first class thing. Like we traveled really well and stayed in How did did you get chosen for that? I auditioned. I went in and auditioned and they needed a piano player. And then later I moved over to the conductor chair Uh and conducting and writing arrangements. And we're still friends. And I want to tell you a story about it because uh, I got married last July. Nice. And Johnny, we wanted him to sing at the wedding, but I was, I talked to his office and there was some concern about his memory, you know, and his, and his uh, ability to kind of remember this song in that context, because at this point in his life, he can remember vividly things in the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, but recent you know, the information, you know, recently won't stick as easily. So we thought, well, maybe he'd be willing to go into the recording studio and, and record the song. 
So we sent him the song, went to his house. He had memorized it. We just ran it two times and he was, and I told him that, that, at that, at that rehearsal, I said, you know, John, you don't know this, but to us, when you open that, your mouth and that sound comes oh, out, I know. it's a part of, it's a part of our culture. It's yeah. a part of the world's fabric of, of uh, all things good. And I go, and you're used to it because you hear it every day. But for the rest of us, it's a freaking miracle. Well, that's, so, that's the kind of thing about a throwaway, you know, things that are normal to you and to the rest of the world. They're well, that, yeah, and I, I grant you that. Absolutely. And, and for John, you know, he, he is a, um, it certainly that, that voice was in a, and did you know that he was a, was like a Olympics uh, level athlete no. as a high jumper. Really? And he was going to the Olympic tryouts. And he got a call from his manager who had been booking him little gigs and clubs up in San Francisco. He said, Hey, I actually think I, I think Columbia records might want to sign you for a record deal. You need to get up there. So John said, Olympics record deal. <laughs> he backed out and went right to the to Columbia records. Yeah. It's a good, good thing for us that he did. You can only jump for so long. You can sing forever. Well, uh, there it is. Yeah. And you know what? He sounds like, like a 40 year old man. When he uh -oh. sings, he sounds, and we, so my wife, Angie, and I wrote this song. We played it at the wedding and people were just, you know, just, of course. <laughs> and so was I actually. And I felt so honored that, you know, that he would agree to do that. And, and uh, um, I'm, I'm lucky the, to, call, to call him a friend. So, so one thing kind of leads to another. And I was, I, I have two questions, if I may. Um, yes. One of them is that big fat band. Mm-hmm. I must say, I was personally kind of unaware that big band was still so huge, or is it not? But you are. <laughs> there it is. Well, the big band, the big band format has always been logistically and economically difficult, even in the forties. Oh, because of even the number of people that you have to. Is the number of people. So, so you got eighteen guys in the band, and, and even back, you know, Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, those guys didn't get paid enough money to. They lived on the bus. It was a hard life. You know, they play a gig, they get in the bus and drive to the next thing, yeah. eat breakfast, you know, crash for a few hours, go to sound check. It was a, it was a rough life. Now I've been able to solve the equation because the guys in my band are, are live in LA and they're uh, session musicians. They work on films and movies and different things. Yeah. So they don't need me to pay them enough money as long as they can still work on the movie. So I've had to just try to balance the schedule. Like we just played the Hollywood Bowl last Sunday. I heard that. Yes. And, and so was that a first for you? No, it's our fourth oh, time there. Oh, that's but, what I thought you'd been there. For. OK, but I, I have to tell you, you, walk out there and you just look up and you just I get I allow myself about five seconds just to look up and and think, how, how did I get here? Gordon, what, what happened? You know, and then, OK, time to work, you know. And so um, that experience is over the fullness of time to look back to that little kid who just didn't want to play his scales. Um, that must be, I, I haven't lost my gratitude for it. I and I think, tell. I think that's really important. So yeah. I, I have a question about, I, I listened to something that the big fat band did mm -hmm. and this is kind of a personal observation and maybe it doesn't even mean anything, but I want to know what you say. I was listening to something that was kind of a standard jazz with, with that energy and tempo yeah. And fullness of the band. And yeah. at some point, while I was barely not looking, although I was paying close attention every <laughs> note, it slid into the most heart-wrenching 
aching, longing hmm. piece of music that was heavily saxophone. Yeah. Uh, do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, it could be any number of things, but the... the that the that sliding from one to the other was just gorgeous. Well, here's the broader point. So what? if you think about Count Basie or uh-huh. Duke Ellington, you know they play swing music. Yes. And they and they define the genre and you know the, uh, we we idolize them, but since then the musicians of my band grew up listening to the Beatles and Stevie Wonder uh-huh. and Count Basie and they listened to to Debussy and Tchaikovsky and they listened to you know pop music and all and so we believe in breaking down the barriers between we all sure those styles. did and that one piece that was so exquisite. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Well, it's it's uh, it's important to me and I think that. That's where it starts. If we can break down musical barriers, so we don't say jazz is between here and here, mm-hmm. and uh, you know classical music is between here and here. If we can just let it all be one big stew, that's the first step for us to be able to do it as human beings and stop identifying by ourselves by our gender or by our race or by our politics or what have you. I I would like to be judged on the totality of who I am. And my and, and my actions and you know and my music, as opposed to um, you know one specific thing, and I I, I fear that we are uh, still a ways away from achieving that you know in our country. But, but the border, uh, the borders I believe in still it. Break, the borders are still breaking down more than they used to. They are. They are. Yeah. I think and I, I think with younger people especially that are, have come up. I remember when jazz musicians, when I came up out of college, I was working with older guys. Mm-hmm. And these guys were so threatened by the Beatles. Oh, I don't blame them. <laughs> they were threatened by, by rock and roll and by that stuff because it had different values than jazz did. And, right. and without a doubt, rock and roll came over and then wiped jazz off the, off the map in terms of its popularity. Right. And so, but I think that we, I think that the jazz musicians had a hand in that because Look at the pop musicians. They get on stage and they perform and they emote. Yes. And, and they are visually interesting as well as musically. Whereas you see a lot of jazz guys who turn their backs to the audience like Miles did. Or a lot of classical musicians who sit up in the orchestra and they look like they'd rather be anywhere else. And this has come home to roost, I think. I think that we need to show the audience at the very least. You don't have to dance around, but you have to show them that you appreciate being there and that you're having a good time and that's right and you're having a good time and you believe in what you're doing and you're conveying your joy to the audience and they will give it back to you if you do yeah. that yeah so so i, I remember those old guys and remember thinking well, how could they got how they get so bitter and so i think the my generation and then generations you know after me have grown up just as a matter of course oh yeah no that's all just music we well take oh, that we take a little of that that's an advantage, though, for today, because people are um, used to so many different. You know, they didn't have that opportunity in the late 1800s to hear every other kind of music. Right. There you go. So, you know, you pick a discipline. That was kind of it. But also, you know, you hear opera singers doing popular stuff and you see um, Baroque pianists having a good time with ragtime. I mean, right. there's a lot of people are allowed to appreciate different things without being considered a traitor. Do you can you imagine what it was like, say, in the 1300s and you want to hear music? Oh, you've yeah. got to get in your horse and buggy and you've got to go down to the town square or you've got to get a piano and learn how to play it, which which what people right. did. You had to make an investment. in. now I pick this up and I just go, boom, music. I know. I know. It's, it's it's, and so I think that the 
we earned it in a different way or they earned it in a different way back then. And I think they really, it must've sounded like magic to them. Yes. It must've sounded just like an amazing thing to hear music for that precious hour. They got to hear it. Uh huh. I agree. I know. I do wonder about that. I also wonder something else and you can shed a light on this. I believe. What do you say about, okay, I shouldn't color it with my opinion, but I can't help it. What do you say about what seems to be the enormous responsibility that an entertainer has towards the audience? Uh, it is, well, uh, it is enormous. And I've heard some entertainers, a few come to mind, I guess I would be good not to mention their names who have uh, uh, dismissed their responsibility. I, I don't know if you know that I have a radio show that I do. Oh, I want you to talk. I do. So yeah. I'll talk about that too. And, and part of what I do on the show is we talk, I talk about the music, not just, this music is great, not just because it's my opinion, but here's why. Because that they take this chord and this chord and they put them together and it creates like a dissonance, which adds a little bit of tension and, uh, and, emo and, and you can hear the key chains go up and then our emotions go up with it. And I talk about things like that. Kind of the nuts what, and that's what happened with that sliding into the longing ache from your. Uh -huh. Right. So, yeah. so there are, there are combinations of notes and rhythms and chords that, that elicit, elicit that response. Right. Yes, yes. And so I think it's really good for an audience to understand a little bit about it. Understand well, what, what, because I think the more you know about music, the more you appreciate it. And I, and I do it in an oh. accessible way. I don't get too pedantic, you know, but that is really, um, that is definitely a bonus to be. So do you want to tell people how we can listen to your radio show? Well, uh, the show is called Fat Tracks with Gordon Goodwin. Uh, my logo happens to be right back there, that yellow uh, sign back there. And, and uh, right now our home station is in San Diego, KSDS 88.3. However, we're just about to nationally syndicate, I believe this week. Oh, good. So you'll let me know. Yeah, I'll let you know. I'm not even sure how that works, but I know there's a website. They put the show okay. up and different stations come in. Oh, download so, it. so on the other hand, people can look you up. And then when there's a link to be able to see what you do. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a link to the to okay. Fat Tracks on, on my website okay. for sure. Yeah. Right. But so I have I, to I, tell you, Janet, it's been a doing the show. And I'm sure it's the same for you. You get on this program and you you talk to people and you you meet new people, you get new ideas, and it just stimulates you. Isn't it wonderful? Yes. And and for me, I'm I, I'm discovering new music. I'm looking for new people because a lot of times when we get older, we tend to just kind of settle back into what we know and what we like. And but I now I have ranch. I would bet the ranch that that's not going to be you. Yeah. yeah. It, well, so far it's not, and the shows help me to uh, have a reason every week. Let me find a new, new something people haven't heard yet. You know, your exuberance for it all is wonderful. It's it's, oh. it's making me happy just listening to you. Now, what, now you said something. You said something a minute ago about luck. What? And I think that. Um, oh yes. I think that I, I've really had a fortunate life. On the other hand, you've got to know when you've got to notice when you've got the luck staring you in the face. Yeah, it's sometimes we don't notice it. We're in the in the thick of it. Right. Right. Um, I was going to ask you before, I've always had the feeling from the little I've done and know that stage fright mm -hmm. is related to that, uh, that obligation that you have to your audience to do what they have come and paid to see. That's right. And, yeah. and, and it, I used to be, I used to struggle with that less like at the Hollywood bowl and you see 70,000 people, <laughs> right. it just, it just becomes a blur. But I, then I start to think, wow, the Beatles were right here and John Williams was right there and yes. uh, Ella Fitzgerald was right here. And you start to, you start to think about the legacy of who was on that stage and it, 
And I've learned to use that as not a, a means of intimidation to me. I just, it makes me want to rise up to it, Good. you know, if that makes sense. Um, but that's, <laughs> listen, that's come to me fairly late in life. I didn't start the fat band until I was 40. Wow. And I, I that's, that's I, important to let people know that it's never too late. It's never too late. I was working at Warner Brothers on Steven Spielberg produced animation and I was conducting these beautiful orchestras and it was great, but I didn't think it was, I, I, I would struggle a little bit thinking this isn't really what I believe in. This is what Spielberg believes in or Warner Brothers believes in. And my job was to fulfill what they wanted. And it was really great. It was world-class, but it, I finally said at 40, am I ever going to plant my flag? And I fell in love with the Count Basie Orchestra when I was 14. Maybe. And, and so I start to do the math. Well, how much is it going to cost to do a record? And will the musicians listen to me? Can I get gigs? How do you get a record deal? How do you get an agent? I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, but I, I realized that if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. And that's funny how that quickly that happens when you go, man, there's more road behind me than ahead. Right. But also you, you were in a position and I'm gathering that you recognize this, that the world had already said yes to you. Yeah, I'm that's you're right. Now it's not screw it up. I had an infrastructure kind of more or less in place. Right. And especially in terms of musicians, I knew the studios I could go to. And and you know who got me the record deal? Johnny no. Mathis. Oh, nice. OK, I, I, I had I had our demo tape. We had like five songs done and I sent it to him. And he goes, all right, I'm going to send it to a guy. So we sent it to a guy named Phil Ramone, who was a famous producer. He produced Billy Joel and Paul Simon. And, and Phil Ramone loved it. And he sent it to uh, another guy who sent it to another guy who signed us. So, you know, Johnny Mathis set that going. And, and so you're right. I was I was really fortunate that I had at least, a, you know, a phone call. And, I could make. and you knew when to say yes. I have a question about when you were talking about legacy. Yeah. Because I am about love letters and the power of letters. Are you, do you ever write letters? Have you ever? Um, less. Um, I love writing. I, I do love writing. Um, and um, I, I think it's, I, I bet, I think I express myself better in, in written form than I do even, you know, whenever we're talking. Don't have quite well, as many I, conversational spacers and, you know, stalls to get my thoughts together. I, um, I have a question that's kind of silly. This um, Janet Hodges, she's not here any longer with us, right? Yeah. But does she have children? Wait, 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 say again. Does she have children, your old piano teacher? Oh, Janet Hodges. Uh, now, I lost touch with her and I tried to find out where she was. And I'm not sure if she's still with us or not. Um, I don't remember any kids in the house because I would I would take lessons in her house. I see. OK, so I, my, my question is, um, I love assigning homework, but I have a thought. You are an enormous part of music and entertainment history just from what you've done. And would it feel good to you or something you'd be even willing to do to write a series of love letters to people? That is to say, kind of thank you notes for what you've done and be real specific. Oh, yes. You know what, you are so correct. And, and I've tried to make, I've tried to endeavor to tell people what I feel about them well, that's now while, while they're here. But well, if I you can. write it down and mail it, yeah, and there's always someone to mail it to, Right. Yeah. You're, that's that's really that's really. Uh, 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 and, you know, here's the other thing that I've learned as a composer. Mm -hmm. Now I compose with a computer and I play it all in. But I started off with a pencil and a piece of paper and a piano. That's and that. the yeah. act of writing. Yes. Uh, helps uh, congeal your thoughts. Oh, well, handwriting, handwriting letters absolutely does that. I've, I've, I understand yeah. that 
people in college or high school who take notes by hand, learn yeah. the material. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you'll that, do that someday. Maybe, I mean, I've wanted to write a love letter to Johnny Mathis forever. Maybe I'll do one. Yes. Yeah, write it and send it to me and I'll, I'll, I'll get it to him for sure. Yeah, because. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like journalism, journaling is lovely in any way you have of putting yeah. down. But there's something about a letter delivered to someone's mailbox, especially in an era of what we are now calling junk mail. Mm-hmm, yeah. A real letter. The power it has. Do you? And what about fan letters? Have you gotten fan letters? There, there. Uh, well, once in a while, I'll get a physical letter in the mail, usually from feel? a person of a certain age. But I get a lot of email, and and of course, I'm active in social media, in Facebook what, and Twitter. What about, what about a real fan letter too? I mean, I've written fan letters, not often, and there has not been one that I haven't gotten a personal, yeah. handwritten response to. Um, I, I, I get a, occasionally I'll get a, a, a physical letter from somebody. Not as, not really as much. I get, I, we, I just did a segment. It's so funny. You mentioned that on my show. We talked, I talked about answering emails and returning phone calls. Yeah. And, um, sometimes I'll have hundreds of emails a day and I'm like, I'm sure I spend all day going through them and I get requests from people. Can you listen to my record? Can you, uh, yeah, can you know, tell me what I, you know, about listen to my arrangement? Is it any uh, good? And if I said yes to every one of those, I right, wouldn't, you can't. I wouldn't have time. So it becomes, I, but I, I try to respond to everyone. Right. Hey, I, I, thanks for sending it. I really, uh, I, I congratulate you for writing this piece and I hope to hear it someday, time permitting all my best, at least something like that. Yeah. That's um, hard to do when you've got, you know, when you're in a position you are, of course, you're the person that people will turn to for help. And yes. Right. But I, I remember the people that helped me when I was that age. And I also remember the people that didn't respond. I remember those, like I sent a piece to Yo-Yo Ma once. Mm-hmm. All right. And you know what I got? I back, got back a beautifully typed letter uh, saying, I really appreciate you thinking of me. This sounds like a wonderful uh, composition. Um, unfortunately, my schedule is, is wait, you know, da, 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 sure. all my best to you. Sure. And uh, that's an aberration in our business. Oh. Most of the time, a no isn't the worst answer you can get. The worst answer is just no response because right. you don't know, well, did they see it? Did they not like it? Did they, you know, and, and, um, and you can't be a new agent, right? You, you you don't yeah exactly you want to you want to be able to try to walk that line because right. all of us no matter where we are on the ladder are kind of trying to get some assistance for whoever's uh you know sure sure uh, ahead of us and um and I think there's a way of going going about it that's not obtrusive or annoying right and um but that requires the ability to kind of read read the room you know and, and read them right. and see that's true but you know I have a feeling that if you did those letters Johnny Mathis and your uh, by the way. You can say you can write a letter to your piano teacher. Yeah. You know, dear, I don't know what you called her. Um, mm-hmm. Dear was Miss Hodges. Mrs. Hodges. Yeah. Mrs. Hodges. I'm writing this to you and I know it's years too late and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I need you to know what you have done. And then just write out the whole thing and mail it to yourself. Do you find that that, that there's a, some sort of a, a healing that happens just with the act of writing yes. it? Yes, yes, yes. All the way. Anyway, you mail it to yourself and don't open it. You know, Miss Janet Hodges, care mm-hmm. of you, leave it. At the end of a year, you are going to have one heck of a book. Yeah. I know, s- grat- gratitude to the people who got me where I am. Something. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 lo- I love that idea. And as you say, I do have a journal and, and the journal has proven useful for me um, to be able to, because sometimes I'm a little optimistic to a fault. Uh-huh. When my when my thirty year marriage was crumbling and burning, 
Oh. I was at the time I was like, if I work hard enough, I can fix this. That's okay. We can, you know, and, and I was, I was, uh, I, 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 my ex-wife knew women know sure. she knew that we had, that our connection had been severed way longer than I, than I realized it. And so, um, and she actually had to be horrible to me for, for me to wake up. Oh, you know, see- what? you know what? Let's, let's, if you feel like it, I've got more to ask you, and I know that we're running out of time. We are, yes, we are. But can, will you come back and talk about some more things? Absolutely. There, yeah, we even we even talked about um, uh, like a significant experience I had in my twenties when I I lost a little brother to cancer, well, right. and I lost my father a month to the day later, yeah. and the impact that had on my uh, on my music, and 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 my life, and the, the lessons I learned from that. Let's let's that talk tragedy. about. Let's do an, another love letters with that, and soon. Okay. Because that's that's an enormous topic, how you continue with whatever gratitude and strength you have in the face of terrible losses. Yeah, let's do that. That's a good lesson, especially we all we all have that in one form or another ahead of us or it's going to we're going to intersect, you know, with with, uh, with, with events like that. So let's do that. Yeah. yeah, Okay. good. Okay, I'll be back to you on that. Meanwhile. I want to thank you for doing this with me. I've just learned a lot. It went quickly, didn't it? Yes, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. (laughs) When you're talking to somebody you love talking to, it goes quickly. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Well, you talk like a a jazz musician because you listen. That's a big thing about jazz. You listen to the other person, and then what you say affects what they say and vice versa. That's a real conversation. That's a real conversation. Well, you're you're just wonderful. I'm so glad we met. Thank you so much. Goodbye for now. Thank you for doing this with me. And I'm going to talk to you real soon. Okay. Thanks for having me, Jen. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye.